welcome to the Squats and Signs podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerlifting topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to Squats and Signs podcast episode 18. I'm Coach Joe Cristando. I'm joined with Coach Arian Kamesi, and we have a special guest, David Wilson. How's it going, guys? I'm good, thanks. What's going on? Yeah, you know, just waiting to go back to work. <laughs> yeah, you guys might be the, the last ones to open back up. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's happening anytime soon, so. Or, or just stay closed down in time for the rest of us to catch back up to the closing <laughs> down again. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I see this going. <laughs> And then we'll just be, uh, we'll be up behind on that. <laughs> Texas Texas isn't going to close down again. Yeah, I don't think Florida is going to close down again. But we're in a similar situation. We're hitting new records in cases each day now. Yeah, it's I I don't I don't think the population or you know the people in charge are really. It's it's just it seems so unlikely that anything will happen, no matter how bad the cases get. I think. Cool. That's uh, that's really good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Um, David, you want to just introduce yourself and give us a little background? Sure. Yeah, uh, I'm David Wilson. Uh, for people that don't know me, I think most of my most of the stuff people recognize me from is the YouTube channel with Brazos Valley Barbell, and I owned I owned that gym that recently sold it, which was a great thing for me. But anyway, I'm up until this point, I've been synonymous with the gym and the YouTube channel of Brazos Valley Barbell, but. Um, besides that, I've I've been competing and coaching powerlifting for maybe a little over five years now. Uh, one of those was a national championship win in the 93 kilo class, and then that led to a, a bronze medal at Worlds in Sweden last year in the 93 kilos. Yeah, some pretty good accolades. Um, yeah, and we'll go we'll go deeper into that stuff. But the question I like to ask a lot of people, because a lot of people like to know the background of powerlifters, is what other sports did you play before powerlifting? I think pretty much you know myself and every other male powerlifter was just football. Uh, you know, especially down here in Texas. But yeah, it was it was football growing up, and and then it it ended with high school after that. But I think like everybody, I, you know, I I think I could have gone further, but you know, it's. <laughs> that it's you know trying to to juggle school decisions and life decisions or you know going like to a d2 or d3 school and trying to be a you know pretend you're still a really good football player but that was that was mostly what it was in high school powerlifting and just continuing with that after high school did um did your football coach get you into powerlifting uh i i was probably more into lifting so the the background with my lifting actually was that in, in middle school as an eighth grader, I was playing football. I was, I was a pretty good football player at that point, but I was a smaller kid. And, and so just in our, our PE classes, you know, they would organize people with people of similar strength. And while I was doing well as a football player, you know, starting as my eighth grade A team, I was still lifting with all of the really, really weak kids, like the weakest ones there were. <laughs> so like I couldn't bench press the empty barbell and just embarrassing stuff. So as uh, me just trying to lift with a cooler crowd, I started going in the mornings before school at least twice a week, maybe three times a week. So I, I guess that probably started off the dedication to lifting was, 
if an eighth grader has the has the you know the willpower to wake up before school and go two or three times a week to just to make sure he's not embarrassing himself I think that's really where it started but but yeah I, I didn't even know powerlifting was anything after high school um, my my knowledge of it was just the high school equipped lifting and I thought it was either high school equipped lifting or probably like a lot of people just familiar with the like the west side multiply stuff I didn't really have any interest in going that direction so it took me a while to, to find USA powerlifting but there was so there was a break in between but stayed lifting the whole time cool um what you said five years ago was your first meet it was something like that I I, I don't know exactly but I think five is about the timeline there just a local meet yeah, it was it was one that that I was I was working out at a Gold's gym here, and I knew a few of the the powerlifters from the from Texas A and M, and they said, "Oh, you know, we host a meet here." And I said, "I had no idea that competitions were raw and that you can just go to one, right?" So they convinced me to go, and I signed up and you know won. I think I, I think my first meet it ranked me something like fifteenth in the ninety three kilos, you know, right away. So. I you know off to a pretty good start like that, and so just started doing nationals and those kind of things. And I think I won three years later. Wow, that's yeah, it's a pretty fast track. <laughs> Some, something like that. Around what year was your uh, first uh, Texas high school powerlifting meet? Uh, I graduated in two thousand and nine, so maybe two thousand and seven. Okay, so a few years doing the equip there, and then you took a little bit of a break before you did the USAPL meet. Right, and and it's hard to really say that I was doing equipped. My my coach was horrible. Hopefully he doesn't hear this, but uh, <laughs> I doubt I doubt he would. But uh, you know, it was things like we were having difficulty getting into the bench shirts. So he was like, "Well, you know, we can cut those sleeves off," and <laughs> which which doesn't make any sense, right? But I was like, "All right." So. They weren't they weren't fully cut off, but you know, cut like half of the sleeve off, and and just just things like that. I, I don't I don't even know that. I think I wore a squat suit, but uh, no, we would we would wear the knee wraps, but it was it was only like occasionally. I know we never trained in knee wraps, so it would just put them on you know for my opener, and that was my only experience with the equipment. That's amazing. Yeah, we're we're pretty bad at it. That's interesting because I've heard some high school powerlifting that's like the other extreme where every weekend they maxed out in their equipment leading into the competition. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were doing meets every weekend. So I guess I guess as far as as far as me actually getting enough reps in the in the suits and everything, I probably was getting pretty close if I was if I was doing it every weekend. But but yeah, there there wasn't really much rhyme or reason to my training then. That's incredible. (laughs) um so going forward you won nationals 2018 right yes and then you won you took third in worlds the next yeah i guess it was 2019 correct yeah last year um so the year before you won nats you you bombed out right spectacularly yeah (laughs) how um, Uh, deadlifts (laughs) yeah (laughs) on your bread and butter right (laughs) right exactly um how, how did you feel going into 2018 after the prior uh, performance uh so there was there was not just one bomb out there was there was that one and then I bombed out the next meet that was supposed to be a redemption meet as well on basically the exact same thing I, I bombed out on deadlifts again and so it was it's hard to get over something like that mentally you know especially when it's something you know the deadlift is the thing that I'm known for and had have held you know records with and and so then this just started I started to think <laughs> I may never make another deadlift again. And you know, like, I, I, I thought, I thought I was 
you know, making the right adjustments in training and, and, you know, there definitely could be attempt selection issues, but a lot of times, you know, with those meets, I was, I was killing my opener or my second attempt and I was just losing balance and just kind of dumb stuff. And so things, those things were, I'd say, especially the second time, almost entirely nerve related Mm -hmm. where, where I had bombed out the meet before and I, I felt like, you know, people were watching, I, you know, people on Instagram, like I, they know I'm going to post this thing. Right. And so I'm just nervous that I need to go out there and have a really good performance. And so walking up to the bar, the only image in my head is the one of me missing. Like I just can't, I can't shake that idea when I'm, you know, so every, every second walking out there, I'm thinking, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. Yeah. And then you miss. Yeah. And, and so that, that was a really difficult thing, but I think ultimately it led to a lot better um, attitude with my own training, you know, giving me the ability to control some of those variables. Um, I, I talked to some lifters a lot, but you know, about mental imagery and, and me trying to, whenever I would approach deadlifts and training, imagine I'm on the platform and imagine looking up and seeing the crowd and seeing the judges and, and trying to replicate not only just the timing, but just the, the emotions, what I'm going to feel, the nerves, those kind of things to where when I finally went out to the, the actual redeem, redemption meet that I made my opener, um, you know, it was like I was ready for that experience and, and to, to have the kind of like, oh, don't miss. And like, no, I'm ready for this. Um, so, so yeah, then even, even at nationals, you know, it's like I had come back, I had made some deadlifts. I felt like things were going well, but there's still the, still the big fear that it's going to happen. So maybe, maybe that's the, the note to all the, all the newer lifters is, make your opener so easy that even if you're nervous and you've, you've blown it a bunch of times, you can still get it no matter what, because that'll make a big difference. Yeah, that's right. I co-sign that advice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 2018, it seems like you were, you were a little bit more confident, a little bit more comfortable and you had a really, um, really good meet that year. Yeah, for sure. Cool. And then you went on to Worlds, uh, which that was your first international competition, right? Yes. Yes, it was. And how, um, how did that feel just nerve wise preparation wise uh i think going in it didn't it was it was surprising it was surprising how much it built as far as the nerves like i think i think maybe it's something going to world is something that everyone wants to happen but but i my my opinion going in originally was that we want to go to worlds because we want to win nationals Right, so like Worlds is essentially the victory lap, and, and my opinions have changed on this. But I going into it, I was thinking that Raw Nationals was was the ultimate competition, and if I won that, that you know, no matter how much I did at Worlds, it didn't really matter because Raw Nationals was the the big one I wanted to win, mm-hmm. and then I won, and and so then it it really I underestimated the the pressure that. After you win that competition, you're now representing, you know, the United States, the USA Powerlifting. You're representing your weight class, which is some really, really strong dudes. And as I'm going into Worlds, you know, the other competitors are also posting training, and and it's like, even though I'm the one getting to go and I'm the favorite and all this kind of stuff, there's still like I need to put up a big total. I need to do well at Worlds because I'm still competing like you know in in essence against these other guys who who are not at, not at the the meet they're not at worlds but there are still people that are deserving of being there so it's like i have this pressure to go and represent myself well 
no matter, yeah, I get third place on a on a, a day that I wasn't like super proud of. Really, that's cool and all, but but man, I'm still competing against these guys back home too that are you know jockeying for this position. And and even though that's not a real number, it's not a, a real thing that shows up at the end of the day. That oh, there's three guys that could have outtotaled me in the United States if they would have gone to Worlds. But those kind of things I think are always subconsciously there that the pressure is there not only against my only competitors but against the guys in the United States I'm not even competing against so like all those things add up when you're going in so it was a it, it was a really cool thing to, to actually feel that weight and it's like man this is this is a big deal because literally everyone is paying attention you know all over the world in the United States whatever so it was uh different than I expected it to be so I want to go back so that I, I uh I can be better adjusted, better ready to, to handle that training emotion better. Yeah, that's actually really interesting that like, you, United States is so competitive, uh, especially your weight class, that like, this feeling of like, even though you won nationals, like you still have to go prove that you deserve to be at Worlds. Yeah, it, it, was, it was surprising that I, I felt that way, right? Because you think, oh, I won, I, you know, it doesn't really matter, right? I'm, yeah. I'm the winner, who cares? I, I, can do whatever I want because I earned it but it's still every every day online it's like you're you're trying to earn that respect yeah that's that's interesting yeah. I haven't really thought about that yeah especially with our our nationals being so far away from worlds there's like so much time for everyone to get stronger yeah and so during that time anything can happen and we had before where some lifters who for example were on the alternate list they didn't win nationals compete at the arnold and then put up a total at the arnold that's higher than what what won nationals and right. then people are like oh well, why don't you send this guy he has the higher total so then you're just waiting in the back like waiting for worlds to happen to show like your worth and your value on the stage and be like i've gotten stronger too right yeah it's it's a it's a really a really a strange feeling going in that that other people are you know, trying to trying to like discredit your work while you're like the national champion, which is it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's wild. <laughs> but um, as a you know, as a competitor, you know, it's like it. The other side of it's kind of cool too. You know, it's like you let's say you know you, you don't win nationals, you get second, third, whatever, and the guy's going. You know, that's a that's a pretty. You know, I I, I think in that time you can really thrive, right? Because you don't really have the pressure, but you have the target. And so you just, you're saying, man, you know what, next year I'm going to beat whoever, you know, Bryce won this last year. So it's like, he has the pressure on him. That's, that's a more difficult spot than me saying, you know, I got third, I'm going to, I'm just going to put in my best work. And, you know, the lights are kind of, they're not shining on me currently. And it's a a really, you have a ton of motivation without the same pressure. So it's a cool thing to not be in that number one spot, but you're always wanting to, you're wanting to be the guy with the target. Yeah, and then you get there and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, now let's earn it, right? <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Um, so that being your first uh, international competition, did you, did you find the travel um, affecting you at all or, or messing with your performance? It, yes. Um, it, it's, the tough part is, it's like you need, you need lots of trips to get it right, right? Because there's, there's things that, that I think I would have done differently Um, I went up there like a week early, which I think sounded like a better idea, you know, because I wanted to get adjusted to the time change and everything. But I think I only had maybe two or three sessions that I needed to do that week and nothing else that I needed to do. So I just, I just felt like, you know, I spent a week 
doing nothing. And so, so while I was adjusted to the time change, I, I just started feeling kind of lazy and lethargic and, you know, I'm like bored the whole time. And it's not like I can go and, you know, visit Sweden because, you know, I'm not wanting to walk around a whole lot. So it's just like sitting in the hotel room for a week watching movies. And, you know, that, that's something if I would have gone three days in advance, you know, I, I might not have been quite as adjusted to the time change, you could say, but, you know, would I, would I have felt sharper mentally and those kind of things? I, I think that could have been a factor, but, you know, right now my sample size is, is one, right? I, I, I could have done it exactly perfectly. Um, but, you know, we, we also, I think we weighed in at, at six o'clock in the morning, you know, in a, in a country that, that is what, seven hours time different. So, it was it was like one o'clock a.m. is what our our weigh-ins were, and I was I was mostly adjusted, but didn't sleep but two hours maybe the night before. So, like all those things, I I think those are things that people underestimate about international travel for the world championship. And like now I'm looking back and saying that was a bigger deal because of those things, like because of how difficult it is to go and have a good performance. Like that's what makes the world championship really cool. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of variables that are hard to control in a, a situation like that. Right. And Arian, you helped coach David at that meet. Yeah, David was on on my team. Oh yeah, he he picked me for his his fantasy <laughs> fantasy uh, worlds draft, and and I let him down. How how was that experience? <laughs> well, I was talking about the national team, but he was bringing up the, the fantasy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh. But but yeah, I, uh, I do the national team, all the emails and stuff like that. And people don't read the emails and they'll like message me and ask me questions or emails. But David was on top of like everything. Like he was like the, we, like joked around, he was kind of like the, the nerd of the group. He read every single thing, did everything on time and showed up to the meeting. He was like one of like two or three people out of the 15 that showed up to the meeting in Sweden. And he's like, Aaron, I'm just going to stop reading all your emails and stuff. Be like everyone else. <laughs> I was I was trying to to do everything right, make life easy for my coaches, and then I'm showing up on time and getting called a nerd for it. So. <laughs> high, high level of professionalism, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I expected the other the other world's team members to you know have some self respect and like you know be on the be on the team, but but no, I I'm I'm showing up looking like a loser. <laughs> Yeah, but, it, but 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 on the flip side, like David was good as far as like working with the, the team coaches when we discussed the game plan and stuff like that. We didn't have too much of a difference. There was like maybe just some, like a different approach to bench press of what I wanted versus what David wanted, even though we we're going to end up at the same third attempt. Mm-hmm. And then I think squat maybe was like slightly different idea on third attempt. But the second one ended up being so difficult that in the moment it didn't even matter what the difference yeah. was. Yeah, we, we got everything we could have on squat, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, who, who was coaching you at that time? Uh, I've pretty much always been coached by myself. So that was, that was, uh, that was all me up until that point. I worked with Mike and reactive training systems for a little while afterwards, but back on, back on my own stuff again. So was that your first time kind of letting someone else take the wheel, um, with decision-making at the meet? It was actually my second and, you know, so up until, up until that point, I, I just always, I had always figured, well, you know, I know myself best. I, I want to, I'm going to be in full control here. Um, and then I would, I would usually bring, it was mostly my girlfriend at the time who would come along and load plates for me. And, you know, 
I, I guess I guess the good thing is about girlfriends is they're they're not going to fight back too much on the attempts that you want to make. Uh, so so there it was it was pretty much me. She she turned in numbers a lot, but it was it, she was just an extension of my own brain at that point. But yeah. uh, for nationals, the one I won, I I worked with Hanny uh, from the strength athlete. So that that one was the you know one going in where I said I want to win this thing. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to get out of my own way and let somebody else do it. And um, that actually was my first nine for nine day with Hanny. So having somebody else take over in that regard was something that was that was really useful. And I found it I found it a lot easier than than I would have expected it for myself. Like I I thought that I was going to push back more against some attempts and those kind of things. And you know, in in the moment, you know, I, it's like the the when the emotion is there and I'm pumped up, it's like. I know that somebody else is he's he's not going to be choosing a number to mess with me, right? Like yeah, yeah. he's 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 not gonna say like you know what screw this guy, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him five kilos less than he wants like just to be mean, yeah. you know? So yeah. so like you know, and I knew all that going in. And I trusted Hanny, and so uh, everything that he chose, I even if I felt differently, I would just say okay, and and then it worked out great. And so um, probably it, there wasn't. The way that it, it it shaked out here at Worlds, it probably there wasn't as much of that going on, just because my second squat was so hard. Like we we had to squash my third no matter what, and then like the bench press choices, just they you know they kind of laid themselves out like that, and then the deadlift just came down to pulling for placing. So um, it 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 didn't really end up being a you know somebody really needed to be on with the number selection, but the whole time it was like every because I guess it was Bill that I was working with at that point so he was he was doing a, a great job with choosing the right numbers but also handling me emotionally where <laughs> I'm I'm not a very I, I think I get fired up but it's it's really intrinsic like I'll, I'll show it a little bit on the outside but somebody like slapping my back and yelling in my face and those kind of things they're more annoying to me <laughs> and and what I had known and seen of Bill before the meet, I was a, I was a little worried because Bill's, you know, a hype man and, and, you know, macho and aggressive at times, those kind of things, which <laughs> certainly can work for people. Right. Uh -huh. But I was like, you know, that dude better not get in my face. Uh, and, and then he never did. It was like perfect where he, you know, he mirrored me really well and uh, got me, you know, pumped up when I needed to be. And it was, it, so again, credit to Bill and, you know, all the world's team coaches just doing a good job for their lifters rather than, you know, forcing me to, to do exactly what they want to do. Or in that case, like, you're going to let me yell in your face. And he, <laughs> he didn't do that. Yeah, Bill's a good coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He got everything out of me that he could have. So, so that was, that was all good too. I'm glad to hear he's not just screaming at people against their. No, I, I, I think he screams at everyone else. Uh, so, so maybe, maybe it was, it was, maybe he just didn't really care about me, and, and I just, I wasn't worth his time. Uh, that took a dark turn. <laughs> um, all right, so let's let's move on to uh, current training and um, just talk about that a little bit. Aaron, you want to leave this one? Yeah, basically, I came up with this question is like, you, you were improving each year going into the year you won nationals. So like from 2015, 2016, you were improving your placing 2017, you had the 
the issue with the deadlift, but then 2018 you won. Now you move to the new weight class, and now you're trying to um, improve again is what I'm guessing. So, like, what are your plans kind of going forward for this year going into nationals? Yeah, uh, the, the timeline got crazy because, you know, I tore my adductor a year ago, and, and so that, that was all messed up. But, you know, right after, right after deciding to move up, my training was looking really, really good. And, and like you said, exactly the, the process that you said was, you know, I went from 15th to first in a period of five years is that's kind of the timeline that I told myself was that I, I wasn't going to try to be the best year one or year two. It's like by years three through five, I'm looking to be in the top three, number one, you know, competing for that. Um, and then, you know, with, I think the theme of everything that we've said so far is like outside pressure gets you and, and maybe pushes you to, to I don't, have change your own expectations. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I've, I've won nationals, I've been to worlds and I view myself as somebody who can win and apparently so do a lot of other people. And so, <laughs> so, so when, whenever it's like my training is going bad or it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work this process and you know, in the background, there's all these people like, man, was you're not you're not keeping up with these other dudes. Like the guys who are winning are putting up this huge total, and then you know, I start thinking, oh my gosh, like I might I might not win this year, and and I was like, of course you're not going to win this year. Like you said, you said your goal was to win in you know five years or three years or whatever, right? And we're on year one point five, you know, with a torn <laughs> adductor halfway through, and and so you know. The, the process is like intrinsically I know it's it's a long game I'm just trying to chip away and I think I, I think I got eighth last year and so you know this coming year the ultimate goal is top five if I get if I get top five fantastic if it's higher than that then cool that's that's icing on the cake but you know if I can move up two or three places every single year and in three four years have you know it be a consistent contender for first that's the goal but that's uh that's easier said than done you know a lot of times just staying out of your own way and and making the good training choices rather than the the training choices that I feel like I want to make in the moment to win this year even though that's that was never the goal right so so what kind of training choices are you making like um are you focusing on a certain lift are you doing a certain kind of frequency for the lifts you know, I, I wish at this point I was going to have a better answer for you because uh, my training has been pretty bad in the last few months. And, you know, it's uh, the product. I think it's a product of overcoming an injury really quickly. And, and that that might have created its own issues where because I, I had this significant adductor tear, like I, I could hardly walk for like. I don't know, three and a half, four weeks. And then on week six, went and PR'd my total. It's like, at, at that point you start thinking like, I'm invincible. I can, I can do anything. My, you know, I, I just squatted a PR, benched a PR and it's like five kilos under my best deadlift. And so you, you just, it's hard to say at that point, you should probably take it slow. And so I didn't, you know, and, and so, you know, it's still a, a major injury. And, and I think over the last few months, it's been some good training for a while. And then that good training creates its own issues where I'm, I felt things like I'm shifting away from my adductor, I'm kind of moving poorly. And then I don't really notice it until I've, I've almost ingrained that new kind of bad movement. And then things are kind of starting to ache and hurt. And then I got to take a step back and then it takes a while. So it's, you know, 
just lots of positive and negative waves over the last few months. So the the biggest thing recently, and my training is better now than it, it has been. I, I feel like I'm mostly back to normal. But um, yeah, it's it's really at this point, it's just getting myself back to where I feel like I can write anything I want, where I can I can go really hard, I could push volume, I could push intensity, I can do any of those things. I'm not worried that the effect is going to be that at the end of the block, I'm having more issues than when I started. So, um, you know, for sure, I'm trying to get stronger. Um, that's that's always the ultimate goal, but, but it's really just trying to write things in a way that are conservative enough that I can ensure that I'm moving well the entire time and um, not, not finishing the block thinking, well, okay, there's something new I gotta fix. <laughs> yeah, so it just sounds like you're taking your time trying to address underlying issues, being patient right. about it. Right, and, and there's, there's, been, there's been days in the, in the ups and downs where it's like, ooh, man, we're close to a PR. So it's like, stuff is in there. Those, those days are really encouraging. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the hard part is when you have those really good days, you know, being able to balance the emotion from the days that you go in two days later and it's like, well, it's all ruined. <laughs> th throw the whole thing out. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I actually think that's a pretty good segue to the conversation about VBT. So you've started using a VBT and using Rep1, right? Yes, correct. Well, full disclosure, David's on the referral program for Rep1. Uh, and also, Jordan wanted me to tell you that you're beating Taylor in referrals. I was actually oh. interested. I was, I was going to, at some point, I was going to send a message and ask who was, who was winning that battle. But that's good to hear. Yeah, you, you're ahead of Taylor right now. Oh, good. That's good. Maybe, maybe it's just because Taylor hasn't been posting any training, okay? <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but at the same time, Trailer, or Taylor has a, probably, what, two or three times as many, maybe more than that, followers. He has a much bigger audience than me, so, step you know. Up. Right, I'm, I'm doing a better job, and that's all there is to it. <laughs> I hope I hope he hears this. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's let's go into uh, how are you implementing VBT and Rep One um, in your training? Yeah, it uh, it actually I've I've used one of you know the velocity tracking devices for years. Um, when when it first came out, just the open barbell version of it, uh, whatever four years ago or however long that was um one of the i was going to order one and then i was like yeah i never use it does it really matter and then luckily a guy at my gym bought one uh, and eventually it got passed down to me so i just started using it casually and it's it's been interesting over that time seeing some new research coming out and everything and i i i found that it was way more accurate than I would have been able to, to predict as far as, you know, if I say it's an RP8 and I'm squatting and I, I could I could get out pretty quickly after after maybe like, I don't know, two months of training with it consistently and really trying to accurately assign an RPE to it, I could finish my, finish my set and then I could rattle off to, you know, almost exactly the, the meters per second on the device. And so, when whenever I whenever I heard you know research saying oh you know it's a it's at least a pretty good predictor of RPE or whatever it's like man it's it's a perfect it's it's really really good yeah. and you know if I if I can do a squat and say uh, that one was good not great I'm gonna say it was 0.24 you know even though I'm sure it looked fast I was like oh yeah 0.24 um you know those those kind of things are that's something that I you know I've I've developed a good sense of my my rating and perceived exertion over 
training for 15 years. Like we said, I started as an eighth grader. So, you know, I have a lot of reps, a lot of experience under my belt. And so it was, it was really, really cool for me to be able to see that this device does exactly what it's, you know, trying to do like, you know, to a, to a, you know, whatever, a hundredth of a millimeter or whatever it is. And so, you know, then the question is, well, if I'm, if I'm not good at it, do I really need it? And, and what I've found is that just attaching the device makes me that much more honest about, you know, what my, what my RPE really is. I can't, I can't lie to myself. I, I can't, if, if there's something concrete that I know is true, then, then I can't say, well, you know, the plan was to do an RPE eight, but, uh, you know, can you convince yourself to go up? No, like that was, that was right on. Right. So, and, and this is for somebody, you know, who, who is practiced experience with making good training decisions. So having that, that thing there is, is a, you know, it, it adds more accuracy to my training, but it also adds more accountability. And, and so if we removed that, that, um, the factor that I already know I'm really good with rating my RPE and we just had somebody who wasn't really all that good and couldn't really tell, then now we have a, another, you know, a concrete number for that person that, that we can really have them rely on it a whole lot more. And then, you know, get, get a lot more precision, a lot more, just better training decisions overall that can lead to a lot, hopefully more progress or, or at least have us be able to judge the training that we're writing. You know, is that if, if I put something on paper and it didn't work and I know for a fact they were doing their best job of, you know, implementing the best way they could, then, okay, well then I can, I can analyze my own process better than rather blaming, blaming my dumb athlete who was just overshooting all the time. If that's, you know, (laughs) so hopefully it removes that from the equation. This is just a lot more accuracy, a lot more precision. Right. Actually, that's really interesting. I've never thought about that way, but um, it is a really good tool to teach athletes accountability. Um, The way you phrase that is like perfect. Uh, For me personally, it it taught me how to judge RPE better and be accountable, but also from a coaching perspective, um, having people use VBT, I've noticed that they they start to become way more accurate in their assessment, and they also, they make way less, fewer dumb decisions in training. Yeah, and it it makes it it makes it as a, as a coach, you know, instead of, cause you know, sometimes I, I feel like I sound gripey or something where somebody is like, oh, you know, I overshot today and you know, whatever. And, and then now luckily with something like rep one, like they haven't been, they haven't been widely available. So I have a bunch of athletes who are, who don't have them yet. They're coming. Um, but you know, it's, you know, so, so far it's really, you know, my own experience, but you know, in this case, if somebody, you know, overshoots their top set and they say, Oh well, you know the last warm up felt pretty good. You know it's like well, you know, let, you know, let me see the video and and what was the velocity on that one. So then at that point, you know, if the if the athlete will have something where they're going to have to tell me, like, well, it was you know 0.28 and I know my my eight RPE is 0.26, so I probably shouldn't have gone up. I probably should have just called it a day there. Like yeah, see, you know better. So <laughs> so you know it's it's again the the accountability and and just having the them be able to make those decisions in the moment and again just increase increase quality of work across yeah, yeah. the board yeah i think arian probably uh has had that conversation with me before <laughs> yeah but I, I think another aspect that people may underestimate with the with the velocity based training is is also the freedom the 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 incentive to go up on your really good days mm-hmm. where 
you know, I think I've been framing it and I think probably most people frame it in like choosing the right number. And, and when we say that, I think it, it has this, um, it sounds like we're encouraging being conservative and, you know, taking the two and a half to five kilos off the bar. But a lot of times it's saying put five and a half, put or five, you know, seven and a half more kilos on the bar than you were planning. Right. Or, you know, you, you hit your plan top set, man, go up. That looked really good. Right. Uh, you know, and taking advantage of those good days and, the the device again can remove some of the anxiety some of the fear when you if you hit a number that's like a near pr and it and it moves at what you know is a six and a half or seven and you're like oh man i don't know if i should go up it's like it was easy you 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 have you have something concrete telling you that you certainly can go up and it's been right every other time put more weight on the bar right and and so then at that point there's not like a fear you're putting yourself in a situation that you shouldn't be in because you have something that, that really reinforces that. Right, I, so I actually think that um, more often than not, at least from a coaching perspective, I run into people who are sandbaggers and the device <laughs> is the device gives us that objective data to say like, you're actually stronger than you, than you realize and you, you need to be going up um, to maximize what you're doing in the gym. And right, yeah. I've had, I've had more cases of that than the, than, than the overshooter. I, I think I think it'd probably be be fifty fifty you know and I, I think maybe my my brain goes to the overshooter because I think we we probably in general see that as as maybe a, a bigger problem mm-hmm. right like if, if somebody's getting getting stronger but they're they're undershooting all the time then it's still like eh, you know we're making progress it's not that big of a deal right right but you know if somebody's consistently going too hard I think probably most of us see that as something that's going to derail things much faster right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, yeah. There was something I wanted to circle back on. Oh, so you were saying before before we were talking about BBT, you were saying in your training now you're having these days where you're coming within, you know, a few kilos of, of a PR or, or a rep PR, um, and you, you you feel like um, like a temptation to go up, but you, you stop yourself. Um, how, how does the BBT impact those decisions? We kind of talked about this a little bit, but... Um, it, it's really tempting when you know that like, oh, maybe I can go up five or 10 or something. Um, but you have data that now says otherwise. Yeah, it's uh, especially recently, it's, it's been a really good tool with me trying to create consistency over a bunch of blocks rather than me trying to maximize like what's the most I can get out of myself in the next you know, week or two weeks, three weeks, whatever. So, you know, at this point I'm saying, I wanna finish the next six weeks you know, consistently stronger than before. So even if there's days that, um, and I'll, I'll use, you know, my, my squat, for example, is I, I would assume around a, an, an 8RP is like a 0.25 meters per second. So if I, if I hit a squat and it was my planned squat for the day and I, it's a 0.27 and, you know, I was going to hit a squat single at eight. I see that and I say, cool, that was better than I expected, but it's still, you know, right in that line close to me being an eight. And what do I, what do I really gain out of out of going up? You know, I could I could put ten more kilos on the bar and I'll hit it, and it'll almost certainly be an eight and a half, and that'll be fine. I mean, that's still you know it'll same estimated max, whatever, right? Still a solid day. Right. But if if the objective is to be consistent across all these weeks and get stronger across all these weeks and get myself to where I'm confident that I'm consistently moving the best way I can, then what we just said, you know, is like we see the overshooting as a little bit more of a problem. So. So if I'm if I have the velocity that says 
man, it felt good, but you're right there. It's close. Maybe, maybe save it. Then, then that should lead to better training, you know, on you know, the, the weeks following and, and allow for better training on that same week with other movements and all of those kind of things. So, um, it, it's, it can be encouraging there where you can still see something that, that is, um, objectively better. You can hit the exact, the exact same weight. You know, let's say I squat 270 and, and it's objectively faster than it was the week before, you know, in, in that case, it's like you got better, right? You, you could more, you could put more weight on the bar, but doing this last week also led to an improvement this week, right? Let's, let's just be smart. And so having, you know, lots of, lots of data points that, that can tell you how things are going, whether they're good or bad. I think that's, that's probably the strongest thing for me is, is removing the, the emotional, like, do I need to be doing something different? You know, is it, is it just an effort thing? Should I just try harder? Should I put more weight on the bar? Like, no, we can see a, you know, a predictable, you know, decline in the, in the velocity on these through my warmups. And, and, and that's where I probably have the, the most value what I'm, how I'm, how I'm beating Taylor is I'm telling all my lifters, you know, <laughs> it'll, it'll tell, it'll tell you so much more about those last two or three warmups. You know, if, if, if 500 pounds is your second to last warm up or something, right. You're going to get a pretty good data point, you know, across multiple weeks on what 500 pounds moves like. Right. And, and so, you know, if that one's trending up, ah, I'm, I'm probably thinking I'm gonna have a pretty good day. So maybe you take a slight, you know, five kilos more, on your on your last warm up to give yourself the opportunity to go heavier, all those things, right? So, right. just giving you a lot more informed, you know, opportunity for informed decisions where you maybe wouldn't have those before. Yeah, and it's interesting because you're kind of talking about how all these these micro decisions um, add up to a bigger picture during a uh, a cycle that ultimately will lead to potentially bigger progress at the end of that cycle without having to. To, to put yourself at risk of injury or, or you know, um, some kind of technique failure or anything like that. Oh, and, and you know, even even in the in the app itself, it you know, you when you rate, you know, your RPE, you say I squatted 270 and I, I rated a seven and, you know, whatever meters per second. And then the following week I squat 270 and I rated it at 6.5 and it gives you a higher estimated max. Like, you know, I, I think our, we want to hit bigger numbers, right? I mean, it shows that we're getting stronger, but then having something there that says, man, I can hit the same weight and just move it faster. Mm-hmm. And that also, in it, you know, you have the, the, the app in your hand that's saying, well, you're stronger than you were last week. You know, sometimes that's enough to get people to, to say, well, let's just keep making the good choices rather than them needing something, you know, physical to do to actually represent that they're stronger. Right. Cause we have it, we have the we have the thing. We have the data that's saying you're stronger. Yeah, I think it's a powerful tool. Um, yeah, and I, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, Ed, there's lots of different ways to to use it. So I want to hear a little bit more about what um, kind of sets or with the way you're using it. So some people can maybe use it for a top set, like a top single, to pick what weight you can do. Or you might pick it for like your volume, like if you're doing a five sets of five, you can pick the right way for it. Or you can even use it uh, where you're trying to regulate how many sets you're doing based on how how your velocity is dropping. So how do you like to use it for your programming? Uh, yeah, you know, so mostly with myself, I'm I'm using it just as a as a metric of RPE. Where so I I haven't I haven't gone into you know the the velocity stops, you know, saying like do do 
sets of five, you know, until it gets to whatever 0.3 meters a second or whatever, right? Um, but but I think you know certainly those are those are good tools to use it, and I I, I just haven't. That would take a lot of experimentation and you know a lot i just don't have the anecdotal experience with saying well we're going to give you you know sets of five at 75 percent until you know you get to you know whatever whatever velocity that we know would correspond to an rpe right. um but you know so so those things are are absolutely tools that are you know pot- potentially useful um but but i i think it's the way that i use it would be just just continue let's say i have a four by five at an eight rpe on bench press and you know i'm i'm expecting to have to manipulate the load you know from set to set because i'm not gonna be able to maintain that same output every time so um you know if my if my first set is is pretty good then you know say seven and a half rpe and based on you know the number that i have uh, seven and a half would be maybe a, a 0.18 you know on my bench press so if if i'm expecting you know 0.16 for my 8RP and I, oh, it was pretty easy. Okay, I'll try that again. And then sometimes it gets easier mm-hmm. and it starts starts getting faster. And so I say, oh, I can add two and a half more, right? And and so in that case, it's just helping me, you know, nudge me forward, pull me back, just continuing to execute what I had on paper to the best of my abilities. Um, it also, I think, can help us understand at times I'd say work capacity or you know analyze the way that somebody is responding in a session to the amount of work that we're doing um, one of the things especially on deadlifts and bench press to some degree that I like doing for people is multiple singles in the same day uh, you know three singles at a at an 8RP or whatever you know some singles at a 7 and so if they're doing three singles and we see that each single gets faster we say, man, what if, what if we added, you know, some more? We did five or six singles at an eight, and and then by the end of those, they're able to put more weight on the bar, and you know, we find, okay, so your fourth single is, you know, consistently the sweet spot. Cool. Let's work. Let's do four singles at an eight, and then we're pretty confident on that fourth single that we got the best performance that we could have from them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we always see a decline after that. Cool. Let's just stop at the fourth one. Um, you know, things, things like that, that can help us write better training for people based on some, some data points that we get from it. So, you know, it's, it's not just about choosing good weights every session, but we can really analyze, you know, we do three sets of five on squats and, and their, their third set just dies so bad every single time. Well, you know, maybe, maybe we use, uh, we, we plan to drop load on that, that we do two hard sets and then you know an easy set or two easy sets or something like that so just giving us more opportunities to individualize stuff for people as well yeah and tracking all these trends is is super powerful with those decisions for sure sure yeah and and giving giving people you know when people sign up for coaching most of the time they're looking for somebody to just tell them what to do uh you know and and (laughs) I don't know that that's the best way, you know, I, I firmly believe that's not the best way. The, the more invested that people are in their own results and, you know, thinking about things, getting them thinking critically about everything. And, and then, like I said with myself, I attach the device and I just start thinking, take it seriously. If somebody who hasn't really had that action before is now doing something every day to say, you know, you're in charge of analyzing this and giving you know your coach better feedback then they involve themselves in the process more and start saying like 
they might see those trends themselves where I wouldn't even think of a lot of those things. So, you know, more more dialogue between coach and athlete is, is never a bad thing either. Yeah, and I guess that also helps teach uh, your athletes autonomy and, and, like you said, taking control of their own training and, and yeah. being more aware of, um, you know, how they respond to certain things. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and I think it really helps with the uh, – bridging the gap for both types of people, people that do want to learn and people that just want to be told um, for online because like Joe coaches almost entirely in person, whereas I coach almost entirely online. So if I get a client and they don't want to use RPE or they're not f- familiar with their, I can't just teach them how to rate their RPE overnight. But with something like the rep one, then they can go and use that the next day and be able to adjust based on the speed and then learn the RP over time to help. Oh yeah, exactly. You say, yeah, you say do a do a single at eight, and they say, well, I don't know what an eight is, and you say, okay, <laughs> do one, do one that feels difficult, and then and then you know record the velocity, and then they do it, and you say, okay, next next week, we're we're going to you're going to keep going until it it goes slower than that one, right? So if if the velocity is still higher then keep going until it's you know a little bit slower when it's a little bit slower you can stop and and so then you know again gives them a little bit of a goal and creates better expectations on on what hard is in the context of what we're looking for yeah yeah it's interesting but i think some newer newer athletes they they over or over underestimate what what difficulty it is you know so they'll tell you something's really hard then you look at it and it's like oh that looks like you're not even trying. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the questions I get about the, the device all the time is if there's a disconnect at, at times between what I feel and what the device says. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, yeah, absolutely there is. And I, what I always encourage people to do, and I think most people are pretty good about it now, is, is filming also. You know, so now, now you have these three metrics as you have your own, your, your own feeling of how the, your own perception of how difficult it was. Then you have the the video, you know, of, of how it actually moved, plus the data of how the velocity that it says it was. So most of the time, two out of the three of those, you know, will will line up in a way that you know makes sense to you. Um, you know, it's it's and you know we go with the, the the majority decision in that case, right? If it if it looks really fast, if the velocity device says it was really fast, but man, it felt pretty hard. It's like eh, it was probably pretty fast, you know. Um, but but yeah, if it if it's like it, it it felt really good and Cameron is like, well, it looked bad, and then the the tracker says it wasn't that good, yeah. then eh, you know maybe let's stop. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you that um, the video in conjunction with VDT is is super important, um, specifically because of technical, like a, from a technical perspective. So like if an athlete hits like. I don't know, like a two eight on a single, and then you look at the video and you start to see some kind of technical faults. Like, yeah, maybe that was fast for them, and you know they're capable of like a one five or something. But if they go up, and those those technical faults get worse, it doesn't really matter because you're just gonna yeah. potentially fail the rep or the velocity is just gonna plummet. So yeah, sure, video, right. video with VVT is is huge, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and then you know, uh, uh, maybe the last little you know thought that I I was. Training the garage has been useful for me. I feel like I have more freedom. I like you know just moving around and everything. But um, attaching it to everything I do, you know, like overhead pressing or you know <laughs> barbell, you know, incline pin press or whatever, and you know some exercises that that I've I've really 
I, I have little experience. It may be a new exercise for a certain block. And so the first week I'm like, I don't know, you know, I'm supposed to do a single, you know, at, at eight or whatever on this, you know, inclined pin. I have no idea. Right. And so, you know, if I'm tracking all of my warm ups, then the first week is guesswork for sure. And, and then the, the following week, if I have the data from, you know, the last three, last four warm ups, and I'm saying, oh, I did, I did a hundred and, you know, whatever, 20 kilos on my incline press for my last warm up, and this one's moving, this one moved, you know, 0.05 faster. Oh, I can probably take a pretty big jump. So it's like speeds up the, their, your learning process with exercises you're unfamiliar with also. Right. You know, pause squats, tempo squats, whatever, right? It'll, it'll give you better feedback on these things that you're not you're having a hard time understanding your own difficulty on these on these kind of novel movements right yeah i really like using it for curls me oh idea. yeah for sure <laughs> what i was going to ask is is rep one also has some other features and one of them is that it measures your range of motion so have you seen how much shorter your sumo deadlift is than your conventional uh it's it's uh it's a third the length <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just kidding it's oh. not actually I, I don't I don't think uh, Arian was was saying I, I hardly ever look at the range of motion you know measurements on there and uh, I think it was it was something like I don't know 25% shorter or something it was it was it was a, a significant number but it, it wasn't like half right right I always built up this narrative in my mind that my sumo is you know so much shorter and then I tested it one day and it's almost exactly the same like within like 10 you know 10 millimeters or whatever it is oh yeah no mine's mine's more noticeable than that <laughs> um Aaron, you have any more bbt questions uh no i mean we're getting towards the end here i was just going to finish off with that one-off question and then maybe you already mentioned kind of like your long-term goals as far as nationals but do you have any long-term goals as far as like specific numbers that you want to hit on the lifts uh, well, you know, it's, it's uh, a little frustrating. I'm still saying that I want to deadlift 800 pounds because like I should have done that three years ago. Um, <laughs> I've, I, you know, I've hit it a couple times in the gym, but you know, it doesn't really count, but, uh, you know, that's, that's another one of those, you know, monkey off your back kind of things is, you know, pulling 800 pounds is obviously a, a big one for me. Um, now, now it's, it's cool to say that I've squatted over 700 twice in the gym, but you know that's something to hitting that in the competition would be would be really really cool um my bench press is is the weakest one but you know getting that you know, 205 and above is is for sure a goal being being able to hit those kind of things but um i think like everybody in my weight class now like you know the 2000 pound total is something that that many many people can do right now uh so so that's but it's still you know that's a, a big goal so in the next little while i'd say probably you know Ideally, this year's nationals that would be you know me me performing at my absolute best would be over two thousand pounds at this year. But you know every year from from here on forward, you know pushing the limits of the two thousand plus totals that the one hundred fives can do, and you know pushing into that the mid seven hundreds and mid eight hundreds on deadlifts. I mean those are all things that, that I think I'm capable of, and a lot of other people are capable of too. But you know we all want to be the best, so yeah, I'll push yeah. it further. That's the goal. Yeah, and then, then just the other thing for accomplishments is outside of you as a competitor, I know you already did the owning the gym, you sold that, you're done with that. Do you have any other accomplishments as far as uh, like coaching or anything like that? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm getting to where I have a, a pretty, you know, solid roster of athletes, a lot of, a lot of people who have been pretty good. Um, I, I have, I've, I've had a girl 
go to Worlds. I think it was like my first year coaching. She went as a junior. That was pretty good. I, I want to have somebody go back. Um, I, I think the, the best placing so far was uh, I, I have a, an 84 kilo female who got second in nationals. That was a pretty, pretty big experience. So, you know, just getting more athletes that are in there placing in the top five, top three. But um, I, I, I guess my, you know, with myself, I, I give myself time with these things just in the same way that I give myself time as an athlete where it's like, well, it took me, you know, five years to go from 15th to, to first, right? I don't have any athlete that I've had for five years. So just putting in more time, investing into these people and, and actually having a few people that I feel like I've been a major part of building them into, into really, really strong competitors. So, you know, the, the personal stuff, the personal athletic goals are a big part of what I'm going after. But, you know, my whole, my whole job is coaching and it would, it would be, I, I think it would probably be more exciting for me to, to coach somebody else to a, you know, a national championship victory in worlds and everything. So that's a big goal. Cool. Cool. I think I think that's pretty much it. Now, would you want to let people know where they can find you on the grams and YouTube and all that stuff? Yeah. So uh, personally, it's just David Wilson on Instagram. Um, the the Brazos Valley Barbell YouTube channel is still I'm still active on there. So um, that's probably the best way to do it. But the the Brazos Valley Barbell Instagram and the gym itself is no longer me, but still you can still support it i still call myself brazos valley barbell with my coaching so it's still an extension of myself but yeah mostly mostly instagram if you want to keep up with the stuff i'm doing or um you know anything that i share is mostly going to be from there cool awesome um all right i think that wraps it up thank you for your time that was a great conversation well thanks a lot for having me of course